Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 84 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 12th of August 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 16. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 34. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. And as we look into God's Word this morning, this will be, the, I guess, the 84th in that series. The 16th on the glorious church of Jesus Christ. You say, you know, how can there be so many sermons on just the subject of the church? How important is that? Well, it was important enough that the Bible teaches us that Jesus died for it. It's important enough that Jesus himself is building it. And uh, so as we look here this morning, it's, uh, uh, I guess, uh, up to part five in speaking on the ordinances of that church. Uh, we began with uh, the ordinance of baptism, and we're now looking at the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll begin by reading verses 23 through 28. And I do invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. We'll read right through the end of the chapter. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home that you come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Father, we do thank you so much again today for this time that we can have together. Now, Lord, as we look into your word, as we look at this, Lord, most precious subject of the Lord's Supper that you have given to us, I pray that you would simply speak to our hearts this morning as you would. Lord, by your power, by your anointing, you know the hearts of each individual here. You know those that need to be saved. You know those that need to be encouraged or strengthened or challenged. Lord, you know the need of every heart, and only you can meet it, and we pray that that would take place. Help us, Lord, to be receptive and responsive to that which you would speak to us. We give you all the praise and honor for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. I said that a lot of times, a lot of times people think that... Uh, Church, why do you go to church? Church is just boring stuff. And it might be some places. 
but not the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing boring about the church of Jesus Christ. There's nothing boring about the New Testament church. And of course, as we think of that by the same token, we might ask ourselves, well, you know, as we think about that church, and we've looked at so much concerning that church already, but I ask the question, how important, how important are these ordinances? Well, I can tell you this, that if what we just read here this morning, that the Bible talks about the way people approach this table, uh, has much to do with not only their physical health and sickness, but even death because of wrongly doing it, then I would say that it's pretty important that uh, if God looks at it that strongly, that we understand what it is that we're doing. And when we begin to understand it, it only becomes more glorious. It only becomes more precious to us uh, than when it's just some cold religious ceremony. Uh, as we began to look at the, the Lord's Supper, uh, we began with uh, this idea of, uh, of the instituting of the Lord's Supper. Uh, we talked about who instituted the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's called the Lord's Table. It's called the Lord's Supper. He's the one that instituted it. He's the one that designed it. He's the one that gave it to us. And so if the Lord Jesus Christ gave us this himself in his last days upon this earth, why did he do it? And, of course, we looked last week at, first of all, the idea that he did it uh, in remembrance of me. Uh, we'll be coming back to that, but we said that, you know, one very dangerous thing in our day today is the fact that many people have a lot of false views about what the Lord's Supper is all about. We talked about transubstantiation and, uh, and the fact of uh, those that believe that it literally turns into the, uh, to the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about consubstantiation, which means they believe that though the bread and the wine is still there, that spiritually uh, Jesus Christ is, is there in some mystical way that's being taken in. We talked about a sacrament, the difference between a sacrament and a symbol. Uh, those that would see it as the Christian Passover when Jesus Christ himself was our last Passover, uh, we find uh, the, the importance of why that we understand why those things are not biblical. And so we come back today to this, this thought, if you would, you know, that not only do we have a lot of false views, but it's the Word of God itself, the Scriptures, the Bible, that give us the real reasons why that the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper and why you and I, should observe it and why it should be important to us today, why it should be precious to us today. Why? It's just one of those things that the Lord has left with us that should bring us some of that great joy that we've just been singing about. We find in our passage here before us today in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the first thing that I'd like to remind you of is that we mentioned this in looking at the other passages that, you know, Jesus Christ, gave it to us, and he put it in very simple words. First of all, he gave it to us, he said, to do in remembrance. To do in remembrance. We find that in, in both verses 24 and 25, speaking of both the bread and the cup. Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. 
He says the same thing in verse 25, after the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. This great primary purpose of why Jesus gave it to us, our focus is to be upon him, upon who he is and what he's done for us, upon his glorious gift of salvation that we have received, even on his soon return for us to take us home to be with him for eternity. But of course, as we remember him, the simple truth is, is that when we truly remember him, when we begin to look upon the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, things happen, things change. Now, if you come in for just some religious ceremony, I got news for you. It's not going to do a lot for you. But when you begin to honestly, genuinely look upon Jesus Christ, it'll make you a different person. It'll make us a different people. As a matter of fact, even as Christians, it'll make us different Christians when our eyes are upon him, when we're truly focused upon him. So let's keep that that primary focus is all that this table is doing for us. That if we're in any way, if our minds are out there somewhere, if our hearts are out there somewhere, if we're going through this in some kind of cold religious way, then nothing else really matters. Jesus Christ gave it to us in remembrance of him. But notice the words just the two words just prior to that he says this do in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. We can remember the Lord Jesus Christ in lots of ways. Now, there are lots of things that might bring him to mind. But I'm saying to you that, that, that secondly, one of the reasons that we have this table, one of the reasons that Christ gave it to us, one of the reasons that we do it is because he commanded it. We do it in obedience. In obedience to his command, he said, this do in remembrance of me. Yes, we can remember him in other ways, but he has commanded us to do this specific thing, to take of this bread, to take of this cup. And in all the passages where we're told those words in remembrance of me, the words that preceded is this do in remembrance of me. In other words, it's not just remember me, but we're commanded do this, this do in remembrance of me. Now, we've already looked, as we've looked at different things concerning the church, we've looked at that great commission which said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We have an absolute responsibility. We see there in, in, in the commission itself that we're to go to the world, to every creature out there. The first thing is to give them the Lord Jesus Christ, to take the gospel to them. The next thing he says is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then the very next thing is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever. Jesus said, I have commanded you. This is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Were it not to be part of what we are teaching in the church that he has established, which is his primary vehicle for that teaching to take place, it would be very remiss of us. We've also already looked at the passage. You won't look back again, but remember that it was Jesus that put forth those simple words, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, you can say you love me, 
You can say it all you want, but if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I've asked you to do. Do those things that I have given to you in my word. You see, not to observe the Lord's Supper, and we'll come to the fact not to observe it in the proper way, is simply an act of disobedience against Jesus Christ himself. So why did he give it to us? Why do we do it? In remembrance of him. We do it in obedience to his command. But notice something else there in verse 24. It said, before they did this, before they took of the bread and the cup, it says, and when he had given thanks. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. Now, some would think, and I'm, you know, that's, that's fine. Some would think that that's just asking the blessing, you know, like, you know, God is great, God is good, now I thank him for this food, thanking him for the bread and the cup, and that's part of it. But folks, somehow I don't think if they were focused upon Jesus Christ <laughs> that that's all that they were thankful for. I'm saying as we come and as we begin to truly focus upon Jesus Christ, when we look at who he is and particularly when we think of what he has done for us, we're remembering his sacrifice, we're remembering his blood that was shed for us. I'm saying it's a time of thankfulness and praise to him. It's a time when our hearts should fill with joy and gratitude and thankfulness as we're looking upon him, as we're remembering what he's, as we're reminded of what he's done for us, as we're reminded of what he continues to do for us day by day. He said to do this until he returns for us. It's a time that we do in remembrance of him, in obedience to his command. But it's a time to give thanks for all he is, for all that he does. You know, I don't understand how anybody could truly focus their minds and their hearts upon Jesus Christ without feeling thankful, without feeling gratitude for what he has done for you. You know, we sing about it a lot. We sing all kinds of songs about giving thanks and, and giving praise but we need more than just words. Is that coming from our heart? Are we thankful from within? I believe that's part of what truly, truly focusing upon Christ will do for us. It is a time of remembrance. We're doing it in obedience. It's a time to give thanks. But notice he says something else there in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. Till he come. You see, it's also a witness, a perpetual witness, a witness that goes on and on and on until he returns for us and there'll be no more need for it. Between now and the time that he comes back, you know, one of the great things that he's asked us to do is to be a witness for him. When we come around the Lord's table, he says you do show the Lord's death until he comes of Christ's death for our sins. And of course, you can't think about him dying and coming again without the resurrection being in there. <laughs> That's why he didn't die and stay, die, stay dead. He died and he rose again. And he lives today on high. And one day, he's coming back and returning to receive us. Every time that we observe the Lord's Supper properly, we're declaring forth the gospel 
We're affirming our complete trust and hope in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us, not what the bread or the cup will do for us when we're doing it properly. Then the simple truth is that we're declaring to the world all of our trust, all of our hope is in him and in his promised return for us. <laughs> we have no hope without him. Why? Also because it tells us in verse 28, sometimes, and I don't, I don't mean this in a nasty way, an awful lot of Christianity today, dare I say churches today, they really don't like this part of it, and they kind of try to just light over it or pretend that it's not there or skip over it. But verse 28 says, but let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. We should never eat of that bread and drink of that cup without a self-examination. It's a time for us to take a look at ourselves. Yes, we should do that daily. But you see, the thing is, Jesus gave us this table, and he gave it to us to remember him. Because when we truly focus upon him, when our eyes are upon him, when our hearts are with him, it's going to change us. It's going to change us like nothing else in all this world will do. We're going to obey him. We're going to give thanks. It's going to be a witness. See, it's sin that separates and hinders our communion with God. Now, it's not our subject today, but... You know, if you are genuinely, truly a child of God, and if he has done all the work and he's done the work in your life, then I don't think anybody can take that from you. But that doesn't mean that your walk with him will be as it ought to be. You see, in the first place, if, and again, this is something that only you can answer for yourself. If you've never come to look upon Jesus Christ, truly see him for who he is, you've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You see, when you look upon Jesus, you look upon his holiness, his righteousness, and all that he is, it's the only thing that will really allow you, in the real sense, to see your own sin in comparison to him. You see, it too many times it's easy if you compare yourself against somebody else, or you compare yourself against what the, the church is expecting of you, or what somebody's expecting of you, but Today, when we focus upon him, when we look at ourselves in comparison to Jesus Christ, you say, wow, preacher, that, that really don't make me feel happy. <laughs> that doesn't make me feel joyful when I start recognizing my sinfulness and I start seeing all these things that are wrong with me in comparison to Jesus. You see, before you become a Christian, it was sin that separated you. From your relationship with God. Sin separated you from that. But as we sang that great hymn earlier, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow because of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you can have that relationship. All the churches, all the religion, all the prayers and sacraments as they call them in the world, it won't do you any good. It's Jesus. As Christians, we come around the table to remember him, to obey him. He has commanded us that we do this because he knows that we need it. It'll help us 
to be a thankful people when we look at him. It'll help us to be more thankful than we could even begin to imagine. More than anything in all of this world can make us thankful. It's a witness to what he's accomplished for us in our life. But it is a time of self-examination. It's a time for us to look at ourselves, say, well, you know, just as sin separates me from God, there's only one thing. There's only one thing that can remove that sin. That's the finished work of Jesus Christ. When we as a church come around the, the Lord's table, we're saying it was his body. You see, he's the one that was born like no other flesh was ever born. He was the one that came in the incarnation here to this world. He was the one that lived a life that nobody else could live. He's the only flesh that ever walked on this earth that completely fulfilled the law of God. You see, God's law hasn't changed. God's expectations haven't changed. We just couldn't live up to them. Jesus came and fulfilled it. What we could not fulfill for ourselves. Therefore, rather than it being us having to meet God's law, it's us having to be in Christ who has met God's law. Jesus Christ, his body's the one that was broken. He's the one that died upon the cross. He's the one that took his last breath in the flesh, shedding his blood that your sins could be forgiven. Folks, Man can't do it for you. No church can do it for you. No religion can do it for you. That's one of the, the great things that I guess the devil would like you to believe. Your relationship means a sin must be taken care of, but as a Christian, it's sin that will destroy your communion. It will separate you from true communion because we've got to first deal with that sin. No, it may not feel good, but the way is we're going to feel even worse if we don't. It's the only way we're going to grow. It's the only way we're going to get cleaner. We come to the Lord's table with sin in our lives that has not been dealt with. He says here is a very dangerous thing. We're making some kind of a symbol, a mockery of this table that is speaking of a communion that we know in our hearts isn't true. We've got to deal with the sin. We've got to have real communion in order for the symbol to be what it's supposed to be. We're warned clearly here of consequences of doing that. Of course, it's also a sin to disobey God and, and not come to the table. You don't compound your sin by keeping sin in your life and coming and taking communion while that sin is actually separating you from God. But don't kid yourself into thinking that <laughs> Sin isn't so bad if you don't take of the communion. You see, part of the reason that the Lord has given this to us is that you will examine yourself and deal with your sin so that you can join in real communion with him. And that what's happening around this table is a picture of what's happening in your life and in your heart. Why did the Lord give it to us? Folks, not that we could be saved, not that we could find grace in it, 
but he gave it to us that we can focus upon him, remember him, the only one in all the world, the only thing in all the world that can possibly change our lives is Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us. We do it in remembrance. We do it in obedience. We do it to give thanks. We do it as a witness. We do it for self-examination. Folks, we do it because it's a time for true fellowship, for true communion of the church body. And we notice that uh, if we notice in verse 33 here, he says, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, carry one for another. What is he talking about there? When you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Tarry, wait one for another. You know, the Bible teaches us that, that it's what others, if you look back into chapter 10, notice what he says here in verse 16 and 17. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. We've already looked at other things concerning the church and this oneness, this, this, this body that we're described as. See, the term communion, it means to have things in common. It literally can be translated as fellowship. Fellowship, a people that really come together because they have a common ground, they have something in common. That ought to help us to understand why that the apostle Paul, he didn't pull any punches, why he was so scathing when he brought his condemnation upon this church for the way that it was behaving one towards another and then coming around the Lord's table as if everything was just fine. Notice what he said in chapter 11, beginning of verse 17. He said, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. What you're doing is making things worse, not better. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies or sects among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you, you got your own little groups, your own little sects. You deciding who's, who's right and who's wrong. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You see, what they were doing, they were having their, their love feast beforehand, and then they were following at the end of the love feast, they were following that with communion. Well, the simple fact is they were, they were letting it be known when they really came together as a church for their love feast 
One was without and one was with and one had plenty and one had nothing and all this. And they had all these attitudes, these divisions going on between them, their little groups that they had that were the ones that they approved and the ones they disapproved. And then, and then they come around the Lord's table like everything was just as it ought to be. Notice what he continues on in this verse. He says, for in eating everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. And then, on the back of that, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. He gives them the proper order for the Lord's Supper. You see, it's not really the Lord's Supper. It's not really the Lord's table. If the church has divisions and sectarianism in their hearts and then they come together around the table with such attitudes of communion, of fellowship, of commonness, examining must not only take place in our relationship and our attitude toward one another, as well as towards God. We must examine ourselves. Is there sin that is separating our communion from God? But one of those sins is when we allow things to be wrong between our brothers and sisters, and we're not dealing with it, and we're not doing something about it. You know, what the apostle is trying to teach the church here is you're just making a mockery. The Lord has given you this for so many important reasons so that you can remember him, so that it can change your life, so that it can change who you are. But you're just making a mockery of it because if in your heart, if in your life, if things are not as they ought to be between you and God and between you and the brethren, then there is no real unity around this table it defies the very term of calling it communion when we come to the table in that way. The Lord's Supper was not given for any means of, of salvation or grace, but we see just in this passage that, well, there's some pretty important reasons why the Lord gave it to us. There's some pretty important reasons why that we should observe it regularly until he returns again, not so that we can have more grace or so that we can have salvation. I think that we could honestly say that, you know, it doesn't, it's impossible for God to love you more because he already loves you perfectly. Can it make us a better Christian? Well, yes. <laughs> Anything that will bring us face to face with Jesus Christ. Anything that will help us to focus upon him, to look upon him, it has to make us a changed person, a better person, a better child of God. We find that as we look at this and we see these important reasons why, then I would ask you one further question about the Lord's table, which, again, it's debated by many today, but I would direct your attention to the Word of God again. Who did the Lord give this ordinance to? Who is it that he wanted to 
take of this bread and this cup and, and, and do this thing called communion. Well, some would say that communion is for the individual, any individual Christian any, anywhere. Of course, if you are already wrong doctrinally concerning why the Lord has given this ordinance to you, if you have really built that upon all the wrong case, then it's much easier to then be wrong about why and who that he's given it to. If it was given as an individual means of, of grace, as some means of salvation, then you would almost of necessity have to follow that with the fact that it was being given to individuals as a personal responsibility to practice it. And of course, then you would have the fact of it didn't really matter. You can take it in your home. You can take it in your street. You can take it in the bar if you want to. The errors we've discussed concerning why it was given have also led to errors of who it was given to. You see, error always breeds more error. And once error is present, you know what tends to happen? It's kind of like that leaky faucet or tap. It just kind of keeps dripping and it keeps dripping and it keeps dripping and it tends to get passed down in its bits and its pieces. Even some who may not hold to some of these false views transubstantiation and consubstantiation and sacrament and Passover and other errors that follow it, you know, maybe even there they have allowed themselves to be influenced by this error that is filtered down from those that did believe those things concerning who the Lord gave it to. I'm just going to point you a few things, and I want to show you what the Scripture says here. Notice, first of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where we're reading, I take you back, first of all, to a verse that we read when we first began speaking of the ordinances in chapter 11, verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Okay. Keep the ordinances. We have already looked. We have already concluded scripturally. There are two church ordinances, that of baptism and the Lord's Supper. He's giving them this instruction here just prior to laying into them about how they're, they're doing the Lord's Supper wrong and give them a proper order of how it should be done. Now, who is this written to? Well, it was written to the church. This church at Corinth initially Back in chapter 1 of this book, verse 2, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, and all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So if we accept, as we've already established, that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances rather than sacraments, then it's clear who was instructed to keep the ordinances. The church was instructed to keep it. We find also that initially, if we look back into we have read uh, all of the uh, passages in the Gospels, uh, when we first began talking about the institution of, of the Lord's Supper, 
look back with me, if you would, into uh, Matthew chapter uh, 26, uh, one of those readings, Matthew chapter 26, and notice again, I remind you what it said in verse 20. Now, when the even was come, he sat down, who did he sit down with to institute the Lord's Supper? He sat down with the 12. He sat down with the 12. And you'll find in every one of the Gospels, as you look through, who was it that Jesus sat down with? He sat down with the 12. Now, we've already established in our study on the church that the church was and is being built by Jesus Christ himself. And we saw that those apostles were the foundation of the church that he was building. In another place, we saw where it said that they were the first that he set in the church. It was them with whom he first instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, Jesus had many followers. Jesus had many that were called disciples. Matter of fact, we find there in Acts chapter 1, there were at least 120 of them then. They're gathered in the room. It wasn't that these were the only ones that were the followers of Christ, the only ones that were disciples of Christ. It doesn't mean that all the others were not just as much his followers and his disciples. But it should tell us something. Why, when Jesus was establishing the Lord's Supper, why was it that he did it with the 12 and not the whole crowd, not everybody? He was building his church. These 12 were the foundation of his church. And it was there with this church setting that he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. So we find that instructions were given to the church to keep the ordinances. It was with the foundation of the church that the Lord's Supper was first instituted. No question about it. We find that as we look in our passage in our reading today, that the instructions are given to the church as to the proper order at the Lord's table. As we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, notice, first of all, in his scathing condemnation of what they were doing, he speaks in verse 17, he says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye Come together, not for the better, but for the worse, that ye come together. It was their coming together. In the very next verse, in verse 18, for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you and I partly to be. It was the unity of the church that was important in the way that they came around the table. Notice what it says in verse 20. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. When you do this, you're coming together in the one place, but because of the way you're doing it, how dare you call it the Lord's Supper? Notice what he said in verse 22. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? It was the way they were acting in the church that was the problem. You know, they had their own houses. If that's the way they were going to act, they were better off to stay at home than to come to church and act this way. In verse 33, he said, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together, 
to eight. Carry one for another. And in verse 34, if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. Don't come together as a church. Don't come together in one place. In all of these instances, it's always notice in your Bibles that word ye, time and time again. Why does ye separate it from today? We would just say you, and he wouldn't know if you're talking about one you or a million yous. It's all the same word. But in our King James Bibles, the ye's and the you's are separated, and you know the difference. A you is a singular you. A ye is a plural you. All these are written to the ye's, the plurality of the people coming together in one place when they were coming together and everything relating to the Lord's table. You see, I can only tell you this. And, you know, it's not my responsibility and it's not my job. And I'm certainly not sitting in judge over every other church and the way they do it and what they do. I only have God's word, and I'm, I may be a pretty simple mind to understand it, but I want to see what God says and what, what God wants from these things. And I'm simply saying to you, in Scripture, in the word of God, the Lord's Supper is only ever spoken of in connection with the church. It was instituted in the first place with those who were the very foundation of the church. As a church ordinance, the ordinance were given to the church, and it was the church who was instructed to keep them. The only instructions that we have in Scripture concerning the Lord's Supper are given to the church, and specifically in a church setting. There is nowhere in Scripture do we find any instruction. Nowhere in Scripture do we find any example of the Lord's Supper being practiced by individuals. I'm saying to you, based on Scripture, based on the Word of God, I don't have any alternative other than the Lord's Supper being one of the two church ordinances that were given to the church to be practiced by the church in a church setting. In summary, folks, Jesus Christ himself is the one that instituted the Lord's Supper and gave it as an ordinance to the church, as a ceremony, a symbolic ceremony to be carried on over and over again until he returned. He gave this beautiful ordinance to the church to practice in remembrance of him because in remembering him, in focusing upon him, in looking upon him, it would change their lives. It would change who they were. It would change the way they thought. It was a symbolic ceremony to be practiced by the church as an act of remembrance and obedience and thanksgiving and witness and examination and communion. It's given to his church. And it's the picture of the thing that has changed all of our lives or will change your life today the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to proclaim it over and over again until he returns for that church. You see, it is vital that we declare 
the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ in clear and in simple terms, not a confusing voice. Why would Jesus place such importance, not because it'll bring you salvation, not because it'll somehow give you a greater dose of God's grace. I've got to remind you once again today, <laughs> there is nothing that we do as a church. There is nothing that we can do that will save your soul. There is no act that you can do to save your soul. What the Lord's table is about is declaring that clear message, Jesus Christ and him alone. Don't let the devil fool you. Don't let some church, some religion, some denomination fool you. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about us as a body, his body, his church that he's left behind to be his witness for him. It's about us focusing upon him and letting him change our lives, yes, as Christians, and declaring to you that may not be saved that only Jesus can change your lives and only you can do that by accepting the fact you're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus did it all for you. You don't need to be more religious. You don't need to be a member of this church. You need Jesus Christ. And that's why this church practices the Lord's Supper, and that's why we want to practice it in a biblical fashion so that we can give the clear message, so that it can do for us what Christ meant for it to do for us, not what man thinks that it should. So that even you here today that may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, unless you have personally recognized as a sinner, and there's no magical words. A lot of people have prayed the sinner's prayer and have never, ever, ever been born again because it's just words. It's not a prayer that will save you. It's not words that will save you. It's Jesus Christ that will save you. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. May this church never, ever, may it never as long as maybe not even us, maybe those that would come after us until the Lord returns again, may it never lessen the importance of giving that simple, clear gospel message over and over again. And as we practice the very ordinances that Jesus Christ left with us, it's part of the way that we can hopefully declare the gospel message in a clear, simple way because of what it pictures and says, yes, but because of what it does in our lives as we focus upon him, as our attention is directed to him. Father, we thank you today. Lord, these things can just become religious things that are tacked on, ceremonies that, that mean absolutely nothing or that on the other hand mean a lot of wrong stuff that just simply isn't in the Bible. Lord, I pray today we don't have all the answers. It's not because we've got it right and everybody else has got it wrong. As we look into the Word of God and as we try to understand the importance of these things, Lord, I pray that you would give us guidance, that you would help us. And even as we meet here today, Lord, for anyone that 
is here this morning or maybe even listens to this sermon later that doesn't have that assurance of knowing without a shot of a doubt they have experienced a new birth. They have been born again. Their sins have been washed away. Lord, I pray that you, through the power of your Spirit, would speak to their hearts and help them, Lord, not to do as their flesh would desire, not to do as Satan would desire, not to do as many in the world would desire, and that's just to push it aside and to leave here this morning in that same lost condition, but help them, Lord, to humble themselves, to seek that forgiveness from you, that their sins can be washed away, not because of what the church has done or any ceremony has done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be straight, to be simple, to be clear in our message. Help us as a church to realize that the greatest thing in our lives is for Christ to be seen and for Christ's work to be accomplished. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.